G'day Footyology listeners, Roko here. Enjoy our podcast? Well, you can become an official Footyology podcast supporter simply by using the supporter feature through ACAST. There's no subscription or regular commitment, just the sheer satisfaction that comes with knowing you've kept the debt collectors from our door. No, just kidding. It does help though. If you want to get started, you just need to follow the support this show link in the show description. Thanks again. And now let's get on with it. Welcome to the Footyology Podcast with Rowan Connolly and Mark Fine. G'day everyone, welcome to the Footyology Podcast. This is the Round 4 Preview Edition. Not a lot of space between the end of Round 3 and the preview of Round 4, but uh, I think we're all getting used to a pretty crowded footy schedule these days, particularly after last year. As I say, a very good morning to my Footyology co-host, Mark Fine. How are you doing, Fine? It's interesting, um, well, interesting you should mention last year because we got a bit of an appetite for football every day. And Easter, the Easter weekend starts to get you into that sort of mode again. I could have gone again on Tuesday, Rowan. I don't know about you, but, you know, I was up for more. Well, we are, uh, we are being told there will be a, another footy fest of sorts at this stage um, later this season. Of course, we don't know the... We do. We know who's playing who, but we don't know the times and dates and places of that. Uh, the next little stage of the draw is supposed to be announced at some stage this week, but they've, they've held off that a couple of times already. So we'll wait and see on that one. I'll tell you one thing I do have an appetite for, Finey, always, 24-7, even in my sleep, and that is a big, fat, juicy hamburger. Oh, yes. Andrew's Hamburgers, 144 Bridport Street, Albert Park. When you said appetite for, I mean, most people would then use the word destruction, even not Guns N' Roses fans. But I reckon we've made a pretty good case for Andrew's Hamburgers over the years. Do you reckon they're coming out here this year, Guns N' Roses? Do you reckon they could release an album, album Appetite for Andrew's Hamburgers? Well, they'd only need go there. <laughs> Given the uh, the weight between their um, Use Your Illusion album and their next one, which I think was seventeen years, uh, I wouldn't be I wouldn't be expecting too much from them too quickly. And last time I checked, Axel Rose was confined to a wheelchair, so I hope he's in a, a better condition these days as well. But I'm sure I thought if- you were going to say I thought you were going to say given the weight of Axel Rose. He'd love an Andrew's hamburgers, but it's it, they're actually quite healthy eating. So it's a good idea that he gets his teeth around an Andrew's hamburgers and loses some feeling like. Well, I was going to say, I'm sure if Guns N' Roses are here, they will be popping down to 144 Bridport Street for the best hamburger in the known universe. And uh, look, they might even stay because they'll they'll potter around uh, the streets of the southeast and see some of these beautifully renovated houses and think, ah, oh, bugger it. LA, we're not going to live in the States anymore when this uh, whole coronavirus thing has settled down. We're going to pull up an old... We're going to, we're going to purchase a little dilapidated weatherboard in South Melbourne and uh, get onto a guy called Nick Spartels and his mates to fix it up for us. And um, you'll have the phone number and details for them, won't you? I'll tell them to go to West Point Properties, do a Google search. Nick Spartels will be there. I caught up with Nick yesterday at one of his properties. And the great Goose Maguire. Ah, how is Goose? Well, he's a full-time builder now with West Point Properties. I mean, that's his his profession and he's, you know, 
uh, on the way to becoming a master builder. Gee, uh, they've almost finished a, a rebuild and I went through there. You know what? The, the fact is that in that area, Rowan, we're talking about small footprint, so maximising every square inch and, boy, are these beautiful houses, really beautiful. So if you do have a situation where you've got the land and that land's worth money and you think I've got to maximise its value with something on it, Contact West Point Properties, Nick Spartels. I'm serious. You, you will be delighted with the end product. And uh, a big hello too to Goose Maguire. If you are listening, hopefully you've recovered from that post-game interview I did with you that time when I called you Moose instead of Goose. I was thinking about Wayne Henwood, who used to play for Sydney because he was a Moose. Anyway. Just, uh, just on that, what yeah. does Moose... And Bruce, that is Josh Bruce, have in common? Uh, I don't know. And one other person. So it's Moose, Bruce, and up there, Kazali are the only three players to have ended their St Kilda careers on 99 games. Oh, of course. That should have been top of my head. Uh, no, nice bit of trivia. All right. Uh, I'll tell you, another wonderful partner of ours is Stats Insider. Stats Insider a sports and data-driven industry leader, provide model projections and analysis for more than 15 sports across the world. They simulate an event 10,000 times to best understand both the range and possible outcomes and probability of each result. Along with their famed pre-game live and season projections, Stats Insider also home to some of Australia's best independent sports writing and analysis. You can read a bit of my stuff on there and you can read a bit of Stats Insider stuff on Footyology because that's the happy marriage that we have. Everything of theirs is free to use. So check them out at statsinsider.com.au and we'll have a little fun fact or stat on every game we preview today, courtesy of the boys at Stats Insider. So thanks very much, guys. Thanks, everyone. Rowan. Yes, weapons. Come on, we haven't even got to the first segment yet, and this is your I, fourth. I just want to know. I've just got one question. Yeah. When Stats Insider simulated the Essendon and Kilda game ten thousand times, did McKernan finally get a hit out to advantage? No, no, he was uh, he was he'd been dragged again, and uh, I believe he was about to get lucky on attempt ten thousand and forty-seven. Thanks for thanks for that. All right. And when that, I say thanks for that, I mean thanks for that Essendon. Uh, no worries. That is the housekeeping out of the way. What to get through, plenty of news, reviews, previews, and a bit of fun at the end. So let's get cracking. On Footyology News Feed. Well, hopefully this doesn't become a regular news item, but we really must start today, Finey, with a bit of a rundown on the Absolute carnage being done on the injury front at the moment. Some really key players going down for a number of clubs and enormous ramifications. I think in terms of those ramifications, probably the most serious uh, is the Gold Coast loss of skipper and ruckman Jared Witts, who unfortunately has been diagnosed with an anterior cruciate ligament tear and he will be out for 12 months, leaving the Suns ruck stocks in a very, very parlous state, finally. Um, shocking news for the Suns with Matt Rowell already out. And uh, I think at least three guys who could fill in in the ruck also out injured at the moment. It is an absolute desperation 
desperation's time for Gold Coast Suns. And it makes me consider, you know, we've got the mid-season or nominally a mid-season draft. Yep. Should a club be able, you know, in these dire situations, if they've got a pick in that and they're obviously going to get a ruckman from somewhere, should the club be able to activate that pick anywhere up till the time of the mid-season draft? I mean, there is going to be a player seconded into duty and they need to second him this week. Well, I I wasn't a fan of the introduction of the mid-season draft, but now we've got it. I think there's perhaps, I can see where you're coming from. I think there's an argument that, uh, you know, why make them wait even that long? The other, the alternative is, you know, this is part of the deal with list management that you you make sure you've got all bases covered. But uh, in defence of um, the Suns, you know, they've got Jared Witts, they've got Zach Smith, who they brought back. He's out for another month. There's a young ruckman called Matt Conroy, who is out for the whole year also with an ACL. And even a nominal pinch hitter like Sam Day, he is out for a considerable time as well. So it looks like uh, Chris Burgess, who is a bit of a jack of all trades, uh, popped up, kicked a couple of goals for him the other week and uh, then had to have a stint in the ruck. Um, He's going to have to learn the caper fairly quickly. But yeah, look, I'm sure what you're suggesting um, will probably be thrown up by someone. um, I mean, it's, it's... The logistics are tricky because drafts are done in order. So where was Gold Coast pick and how do you do that? Or can they sort of negotiate something to get up to the top of the order? Logistically, it's tricky. Or do they have an academy pick that they could use or a, a local zone pick that they could possibly access early? Just yeah, well... Yeah, I'm sure there's some special dispensation the AFL could allow them. It certainly wouldn't be the first time that they've uh, they've done that. So we'll wait and see on that one. Uh, far from the only serious injury this week, though, uh, Daniel Talia. Uh, he is going in for foot surgery, I believe, and will be missing for at least 10 weeks for Adelaide. So big blow to their defensive stocks. Dylan Shield. Um, Bad news for Essendon. He was initially diagnosed with a meniscus tear and the initial prognosis, I think, was six to eight. And now they have decided to do like a total cleanup and um, he is going to miss at least four months, uh, which is as good as the rest of the season. So uh, not great news for the Bombers either. Uh, Funnily enough, after the events of last Saturday, probably not as seen as cat- as catastrophic as it might have been because um, the replacements in midfield, particularly Darcy Parrish, acquitted themselves very, very well. I would say that is a temporary effect, though he definitely will be sorely missed by the Bombers. So not good news there. I'll get you to uh, talk to this one too, Finey, because the Giants, they have not been able to take a trick on the injury front for several years now. And it's happened again to them. In one hit last weekend, they lost skipper Stephen Cornelio. He has a serious ankle injury. Matt DeBoer, uh, DeBoer, a serious hamstring injury. It's amazing how many hamstring injuries at the moment seem to be, you know, tendon stuff and real long-term layoffs. And the other one for the Giants, uh, former skipper Phil Davis. And he has a bad calf tear. 
So I think the absolute minimum on any of those three is something in the order of eight weeks, probably more for all three of them. And for the Giants, finally, could not have come at a worse moment. And given where they are after this terrible start to the season, you know, we could be talking about not seeing these guys for the rest of the year, as often when teams are no chance of making the finals, the old term Q in the rack or bottoming out. But in reality, they're going to give those players every chance to start a campaign that has life in it. That's 2022 in the best possible condition. So don't, don't hold your breath for the return of any of them, which means that the Giants start to honestly tumble down there with North Melbourne as, you know, when are they going to win? Could they win the spoon top discussion, which is extraordinary given the projections of where they would be at this point in their life. They were supposed to be cresting a multiple premiership run at this point in time. Actually has some, I was just thinking then, actually has some similarities, I reckon, to the demise of Fremantle after 2015. Of course, they finished on top of the ladder, um, lost a preliminary final, but uh, the very next season was an absolute disaster for them. I think they won one of their first 10 games or something. And in the blink of an eye, they'd gone from, you know, uh, a, a win away from a grand final to a total rebuilding exercise. So... It can happen very quickly, particularly when you've got your share of older players on the list. So a world of pain for the Giants. A couple of other ones. Ryan Gardner at the Western Bulldogs. Uh, bad shoulder injury for him. He's looking at uh, about eight weeks out. And another one, um, West Coast. Haven't been hit with a, a heap of injuries, but could not have got a worse... Well, they could have, actually. Could have been Nick Nat, But second worst, I reckon, in terms of importance to them. Luke Shuey played a wonderful game for them. Clear best on ground in their great win over Port Adelaide. And unfortunately, just as he was about to come off deep in the last quarter, he strained a hamstring too. And it's, I think, his fifth hamstring tear in the space of a couple of years. So they're going to investigate that pretty... Um, fulsomely and he's looking at quite a layoff too and I just think the I just think uh, Shuey is probably the difference between West Coast being able to win a flag and not because we've talked about um, the precariousness sometimes of their midfield in terms of depth and uh, he is absolutely the pick of that so it'd be very interesting to see how the Eagles negotiate his absence this time, of course, um, they've got some big games coming up, uh, starting against your mob this weekend, finally, but massive loss to the Eagles too, like Shuey. And we might be looking, say, at about round 13 or 14, that Luke Shuey's only played one game for the year, a great win against Port. He did survive the whole game and was close to best on ground. That's how valuable he is. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and of course, there is a, an injury that is... People always assume that the ACL, they, they, the general um, thinking around injuries in the AFL is he's out for the season, which is as bad as it gets. But there is the granddaddy of the ball, an injury that can take you away from football for two seasons. And that has happened to Jane Gresham to the point where, you know, he's really contemplating his football future, Rowan. I think the club will be very supportive and he'll get over that. But uh, those in the inner circle, you know, I mean, the initial thoughts were from Jade, that's it, I've had enough. That is a terrible injury. The Achilles tendon injury, snapping that. 
Yeah, well, you'd hope he's, he's um, when you say uh, he's got plenty of resources around him, but one of the most valuable might be one of the specialist coaches there in Jared Ruffhead because uh, he memorably snapped an Achilles too and, of course, was able to come back and play some fantastic football after his return. So uh, he's certainly got someone he can lean on in terms of the ramifications of the injury and the recovery and that sort of stuff. But you're right, uh, terrible blow. He's a wonderful player. And that was a pretty sad sight being there at Marvel last Saturday watching him helped off the ground. Uh, you don't like to see any good player taken out of the game, um, and particularly when they're as young and as good as Gresham. So um, all the best for your recovery, Jade, if you are tuning in. Massive injury toll. If it keeps up at this rate, we won't have players left to talk about being injured by the end of the season. However, I did want to move on to a really important story, Finey. Um, I think people who know either of us and, and see us on social media will know uh, how we feel about this story. But And we've sung this guy's praises before, but Russell Jackson, who works for the ABC, he's now written a series of five of the best football stories I've ever read in about 12 months. He's been suitably rewarded for that. He won the uh, Gold Quill, uh, the number one award for Victorian journalism uh, just the other week. So the stories have been, there was one about the TV coverage of the game. There was one about Merv Keane, the recruiting man and the tragedies in his life. Uh, there was one famously about Robert, Robert Muir last year, which we talked about at length. He uh, did a fantastic interview with Heredia Lumumba and dug a lot more deeply into his story than anyone else had. But I, I think as, as marvellous as all those stories were, they were almost topped by a story that the ABC had on its website last Saturday, April the 3rd, and that was about the former St Kilda prodigy, Rod Owen. And Russell said about this story, you know, he's a, he's a St Kilda supporter. He'd grown up sort of wondering whatever happened to Rod Owen because he was this fated, incredibly talented junior player who had a, you know, it's not like he didn't play decent league footy, but never sort of became the superstar that his talents dictated he should have been. Russell uh, investigated at length, did interviews with a whole lot of people, uh, including Rod himself. And what came to light was absolutely horrific and tragic. Uh, in short, now you must read this story. I'm not going to neatly surmise it for you. This story deserves to be read by everyone because it's one of the best pieces of journalism I've ever seen. In short, Rod Owen was a teenage prodigy who had been part of that club since he was a little kid playing Little League. At the moment, um, St Kilda decided to sign him up as a senior player. He was dealing with the end of high school and the imminent death of his father, very sadly, from uh, cancer. There are allegations here, which uh, Russell talks to Rod's mother about, about him being pressured to leave school to expedite his growth as a senior player at St Kilda. Should say at this point, Ian Stewart, St Kilda's then general manager, vehemently denies those allegations. Um, but that really is the tip of the iceberg. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of stuff there about the culture of the time. The most shocking part, and uh, I still really can't get my head around it, uh, Rod 
also attended a local primary school where he was sexually abused by one of the teachers who also happened to be the sports master. And I found personally finding, I'm going to get your reaction in a sec, that the most shocking thing for me was there was a lot of photographs in this story. And there were two photographs taken at the primary school sports uh, photo day. One of Rod in the in his cricket attire. And in that photo, you see him looking happy and, and cheeky and, you know, one of the boys. And there is another photo taken with him as part of the football side, the same teacher present in both. Uh, what is incredible is that it was the moment in between the taking of those two photos when this teacher molested Rod Owen. And you've only got to look at the photo of him in the football gear and have a look at the impact on this little kid. It is just, it made me cry when I looked at the photo. It actually made me cry because I thought, there it is. There is the moment when a person's life was turned upside down by being sexually abused by an adult in their charge. You know, it, it's just, it, this is incredible stuff. But it, that's not the end of it because this teacher, who was subsequently convicted of pedophilia, was the manager of St Kilda's Little League team in which Rod Owen played. Uh, and it gets worse. There is a former timekeeper at the club who was awarded life membership who had emerged was also a pedophile and part effectively of a network in cahoots with this teacher. And these guys just had the run of the club. And... Um, I, I, look, I, I don't want to say any more. You, you seriously have to read the story. Now, St Kilda Football Club has apologised for this. Um, and look, Matt Finnis, it's not, you know, we had this with the Robert Muir stuff. Good on Matt Finnis for doing the right thing here. And um, a lot of this stuff, of course, can't be undone. But it is a, the most tragic thing I've ever read in terms of how a person's life gets ruined. And finally, you know, I, first I want to ask your reaction to it. You barrack for the club. You, you, you're aware of Rod Owen's story. Um, I also want to ask you what it says about the sort of environment that that football club was operating in 30, 40 years ago. Yeah, look, I mean, I grew up in McKinnon, but so, you know, in the area, as an 18-year-old, went out with blokes you end up going to pubs in the area that um the one on the corner of south road and the one closest that was the one closest to the moorabbin footy ground one close corner south in the Pean highway you gravitate down to brighton you know people who know people but a few nights out where rod owen was part of the group um obviously as a st kilda supporter you like getting introduced to him and oh g'day rog you know etc still a footballer then of course obviously uh, at that point in time I think even might have been at Melbourne heading to Melbourne or or post just post maybe Brisbane but very much a, a self-destructive would be the term I would use to describe Rod Owen with no idea of any background of course just the saloon bar in Brighton I remember going there in a ute sitting in the back of the ute where Rod Owen was in the ute, in the back of the ute with me and a couple of other guys. And um, that sort of eyes glazed over look. And I thought to myself then, I thought, 
but not engage him in turf conversation. I don't think he likes talking about footy. And his next answer might be with his fists, not with his mouth. Bit of a powder keg. Why is somebody like that? If you read that story, good parents tragically lost his father. Good brother, you know, successful brother in business and, and, and good family support. Went to a private school. That, that uh, Not that that's a be all and end all, of course, Robert, but all the formulas there just for a, a, a you know, an even keeled person. This guy was a powder keg, a superstar sportsman. And now the pieces fall together. Rowan, I think it was a basket case in the 80s as a football club, as you know. Receivership easily could have gone to the wall. Wooden spoon after wooden spoon. Legendary Friday night disco. You don't have that sort of environment where there's a background as Rods has without that just compounding the problem. It was an open door to, to basically take all the things of being what fame brings you as a footballer, which in those days was local notoriety and, you know, he wouldn't, he wouldn't have had to buy a beer, to be honest, during his playing days or shortly afterwards. And with no support, in fact, a club that almost encouraged it with their own bloody Friday night shenanigans. Imagine that, you know, a disco where players and injured players could go, then they, they, you know, the night before the game and then the night after the game. It's just ridiculous. But in a sense, the way that VFL was run back in those days, clubs were neglected. Clubs were allowed to fester and, you know, Fitzroy died and there was no governing body that cared about what clubs were doing to the young men in their charge. So clubs like football clubs or organisations anywhere, at, at certainly at that time and, and probably still today, there were good ones and bad ones. And St Kilda was a terrible one on and off the field and sadly played a role through the Little League in in the demons that this young man would bring to the club and then threw him money and opportunity and no, with you know, all care, no responsibility type attitude. You, we care about you, Rowan, but, you know, piss off when you, piss off when you threw your usefulness, which they did to him. They just threw him out like garbage. I'll say this. Uh, there's something about, Rod Butters and, and his time as president and statements he made about Rod Owen, which turned out to be lip service. Of course, we would find Rod had his own battles with alcohol and drugs and addiction that clouded his judgment at the time that he's owned up to. The club now is well placed, especially with the Daddy Frawley Wellness Centre, to make good on the words of Matt Finnis. And, Rod, you know what? Rod Owen won't be the last of the players that went through that club and were worse for it. I'm telling you, he will not be the last, sadly. The great... We don't want to give away the story, but the story does not end in abject tragedy. Let's just say that. Yeah, it's... Uh, uh, and, yeah, we won't give it away, but uh, it actually, in the end, in a way, a perverse way almost, is quite uplifting uh, because from the absolute pits of despair, I think uh, things for Rod are, are looking up a bit. A couple, okay, we need to move on, but a couple of points I want to finish on here. One is that I'm sure that this story has spawned a, a bout of what aboutism 
And this is what happened in the wake of the Robert Muir story um, when stuff came up about Collingwood and St Kilda and people said, oh, you know, every, it was bad at every club. And, and I mean, that is not the point. And yes, there were a lot of clubs who had a pretty sick culture. Richmond would tell you that in the 1980s, they were a bit of a basket case too. Their social club was pretty infamous and notorious during the early to mid 80s. So, you know, this is a, a far, far different environment. But the pointing the finger at other clubs, it's not about your club being fingered, you know, being sort of uh, singled out and accused of something here. And what about them? That is not the point. The point is that uh, this is another salient reminder that sometimes sporting organisations that pride themselves on being professional are anything but. And often, sadly, it's only in hindsight we see just how bad things were. The other point I wanted to make here, Fanny, and I will get your reaction to this, but I've got to say, as a you know veteran media person, I am, have been absolutely astounded by the lack of reaction and lack of follow-up to this incredible story about Rod Owen by the rest of the media. Now, I've, I've seen... Cur- the really? ABs. Yes. What is the rest of the media? Ex-football, you know, the rest of the media, mainstream media is now just ex-footballers and more ex-footballers and a few foot-in-your-door young reporters. But it's, yeah, but it's more... I, I'm talking about the entire media, not just the football media, the sports media. This is a bigger story than that. And... I, there were some cursory uh, write-offs done in the Daily Mail who pinch basically everyone's journalism all the time. I saw Fox Sports write a web uh, story about it. I saw none of the football panel shows discuss it, not one of them, not on the couch, not footy classified that specialises in you know, drama and controversy, wasn't touched, uh, none of them. 360, didn't get a mention. Uh, I've seen it bob up neither in the Herald Sun nor the Age. Apologies if I've overlooked that, but I'm pretty sure it wasn't there. Worse, I've, I've seen none or none that I've noticed of my sports media and football media colleagues on social media mention this story or even retweet this story. And I think it, it just what the hell is going on here a media organisation so stupid and territorial and jealous of others' good stories that they're not even prepared now to follow up what is clearly a really important story that an AFL, then VFL club is effectively harbouring a sex abuser in its ranks. I mean, come on, that is a valid story. It has not been followed up. So, you know, if it's about that, not giving credit to another media organisation, that's pathetic. If it's also about, as I suspect it is, pure professional jealousy. Russell Jackson has rocked a few professional boats over the last 12 months with those stories. And I think there's a lot of jealousy going on to the point where very senior people in the football media, can't be bothered naming them, but we all know who the most senior people in the footy media are, won't mention it because it's not their story. And that is just pathetic and childish and quite disgraceful, really. And uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm quite ashamed at times to be part of this industry. And another one in the aftermath of this, because this is a, a very, very important, valid story. And it basically has been left to drift into the ether. 
because it wasn't destroyed by one of these other organisations. Pretty pathetic, if you ask me. Am I being too harsh? No, and the, uh, you're being you're being on point, Rowan. The problem then becomes when questioned about their lack of follow up and, and basically turning a blind eye to this story. Sometimes to justify their position, savvy media people, and again we're talking about the heads of football broadcasting and media organisations that are very good at putting the story together, you know, after the fact, might point to sort of um, viewership or, or, or football supporters have, have, there's a fatigue now with stories about players going off the rails, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, that would be completely, that would be, that would be so glossing over the, the the depth of issues here a little league football club was run by the 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 club so all little league clubs were very much part of the senior club the club as you say harboring a pedophile two pedophiles one that had been moved on from his position at a primary school so no due diligence who is this man surely somebody given the area was you know, the primary school was Bo Morris. I mean, that somebody must have mentioned his past at that school and St Kilda to continue to employ him. What's going on? What on earth happened there? This needs to be followed up. If we can put the microscope and put the Catholic Church under the microscope for their um, blind eye and, and replacing of, of horrific pedophile priests, then we have to look at, this football club and ask how on earth that was allowed to happen. This is, this is criminality and culpability. I'm sorry. I, I, I'm embarrassed. I'm not embarrassed. I've got nothing to do with St Kilda Football Club at any other level than following their fortunes on the field. Maybe we need to look at other clubs with no accusations. But, of course, you know, just go back and just find out what this system was with Little League clubs. And the other thing here which really saddens me with a lack of follow-up, is that for the individual, as we say, there is a happy ending. But is this now closing the door on the stories of rack and ruin that have come out of AFL careers? Because there are more. And let's just, you know, is it too hard? Is it too hard to consume? Is it during the footy season nobody wants to hear about it? Because you know what? As you say, there is a greater responsibility here, Rowan, and that is for human beings. Human beings play football, and if football is ruining human beings' lives, yeah. And by the way, we didn't even mention concussion is also an issue here. And I remember Rod playing, getting a number of head injuries, and he's also fighting battles on that front. So to put, you know, to brush all this under the carpet is is tantamount to is tantamount to the sort of ignorance that are causing these problems in the first place. Yeah, no, well, well said. I think you can almost back it in that there, if there is some follow-up done on this, it'll be done by the ABC um, because that seems to be the case way beyond sport at the moment. Any sort of investigative stuff, really, um, we have to rely upon them. And like I said, it, it's either been put in the too hard basket or the uh, we didn't do it, so we don't care basket, which uh, uh, is pretty reprehensible. Anyway, uh, incredible story. Make sure you read it if you haven't already. 
that is enough news for this week. Uh, we have a whole lot of previews to come, but before we do that, we've got one game from round three left to review, and it was the big Easter Monday Geelong Hawthorne clash. Let's talk about it. Well, they are fantastic rivals, the Cats and the Hawks, and they delivered. I wouldn't call it an epic. I think that would be overstating it. But um, certainly a nail-biting finish to this game with the Hawks coming hard at the finish in the end Geelong, hanging on by just five points, 10 goals, 9-69, defeating the Hawks, 9-10-64. The goals, two to Hawkins for the Cats, two to Jack Henry, and uh, a big role in the decisive goal of the game, kicked by Jordan Clark. Singles to Parfit, Tui, Blitzarves, Constable Myers and Clark. And for the Hawks, two to Bruce, two to Lewis, who had a big last quarter. Singles to Wingard, McAvoy, Kaczynski, Moore and Brockman. 50,000 there at the MCG. Uh, I'll just say very quickly, very chuffed at uh, Max Holmes making his debut for the Cats and acquitted himself quite well. But intriguing game finally. The Cats looked to have it in control for most of the day, but four goals to one in the last quarter. The Hawks certainly uh, gave the Cats a few scares towards the end. Well, people are taking the task here, but that was the standout game of the year. You reckon? The worst game of oh, season okay. 2021. I couldn't bear it. I could, Geelong are defying the modern trend of football to reinforce their style of kicking it sideways, stopping and kicking it sideways, stopping, 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 stopping. And I don't like watching it. It now stands out like cat's balls because really other teams are not doing it. So their style of play becomes very hard to watch. Now, you know that when you stand, stand, you do a series of short sideways passes that don't go anywhere. And it starts to look like netball to me. And I'm not trying to insult netball because netball is confined to a court and there's a lot more action than when you're doing it on the MCG. It was really annoying there for a while. The saving grace was the close finish. And you know what? I felt there was good guys and bad guys and I wish Hawthorne would have won that game. The, the imperative for Geelong, especially when Cameron comes in that team, to move the ball with the same fluidity and speed that other teams do, must be impressed on them by their close scrape at home against Brisbane and their close scrape against a not highly touted opponent in Hawthorne and the loss to the nominal wooden spoon favourites at the time, Adelaide. Now, look, They've got players who are better than that. And I hope it's not because Paddy's not out there and uh, they've got guys, you know, underdone a bit. But what did you make of the way they went about their football? Because I felt they were the architects of this very hard-to-watch game. Yeah, it, uh, yeah. I, I, I think I, I think Hawthorne weren't shy in throwing numbers behind the ball either. So it became a bit of a Mexican standoff. And we've seen the Cats do this. A number of times, there was a game against Melbourne last year, which was similarly sort of difficult to watch. The but for me uh, in what you're saying about Geelong is that they are also capable of pulling the trigger and exploding in a burst of quick, high free-scoring footy. And they did it uh, memorably in their win over Brisbane um, early, uh, early last season. But they fixed up Brisbane at the Gabba 
and unleashed a hail of seven goals yeah. in about 15 minutes. Um, and and the, that was the week after the St Kilda game, or it, it, they did it to St Kilda as well. So it's there. Why wouldn't you do it against Hawthorne at the MCG when you had a lot of the ball in the first half? Yeah. Oh, look, they, um, so, you know, it's, it's a bit of that tempo thing, isn't it? They don't always play like this. They play like this against certain opponents. They think it is the best way to play them, uh, and it works for them. Look, I've had, um, it's interesting, you know, they're 2-1, the Cats, and both wins have been by the, the skin of the teeth. But I'm not that worried about them. I, I just think they have too much talent. Um, I, I think that they're not always going to play the same way just to please uh, people's aesthetic tastes, you know. It, it's, they do what they have to do to get the, the runs on the board. Um, so I'm, I'm not that worried about them. I, I think it'll be tempting for people if they lose a few more to say, you know, they're yesterday's men and, you know, the football's changed and they can't... I, I wouldn't be going there because I think they're far more flexible a side than people give them credit for. But let's not just talk about them. I reckon the Hawks have been pretty good value this year. They've pulled off a miraculous comeback against the Bombers. They kept Richmond very honest. And in the finish, they were pretty stiff not to win this one. Now, for a side that I don't think anyone expected much of, uh, I reckon they've done pretty well so far this season. And there's plenty of pluses about how they're going at our mate CJ is now getting plenty of plaudits. He's been terrific for them. Brockman, I think, is impressive. You know, they're stiff to lose Will Day. He's out for an extended period. But, yeah, Morrison, some of their young kids are starting to look pretty good, I reckon. Yeah, I agree. I think that their, their susceptibility comes when the ball goes into the forward line. I was really pleased for Lewis that he got a couple of goals and put them right in the frame for winning the game because isn't that the logical choice to build the forward line around? Uh, Patton's future, is, does he have a future? I don't know. Oh, and, but, I, and O'Brien. Yeah, of course. No, I'm saying. Um, but O'Brien to me is a really good um, second marking forward and Gunston when he comes back has always been a great second marking forward. I'd love to see that forward line build around Lewis and succeed because that will become in due course a high score, you know, a potent forward line. Mm. The the Hawks have a midfield that is predictable but hard to stop, if you know what I mean, with Mitchell and O'Meara. Uh, all right, they're going to be the main ball winners and Warple. Try stopping them. It's not easy. They they get a lot of they get a lot of leather and You've got to admire them for it because they're obvious targets to shut down, but they're not easily shut down. Yeah, interesting tests of both this week too, uh, both fronting up on the Sunday, the Cats back at the MCG to play Melbourne and uh, Dean's, of course, undefeated. So that'll be a really interesting game. Uh, Tough challenge to the Hawks. They've got to go to Perth. Um, The team they're playing aren't in great form, Fremantle, but uh, road trip to Perth to Optus Stadium. Always difficult, no matter who you're playing and what sort of form they're in. So, uh, good challenges for both ahead. All right, that is the Easter round. Finally wrapped up, took us three episodes and uh, how many days? Five days, I think that round was spread across. But we got there and uh, hot on its heels comes round four. We've got fulsome previews of all nine games. Let's get into them. On Footyology, previews with Punch. Round four gets underway Thursday evening, 7.20pm at the SCG. 
Sydney versus Essendon, a game with a lot more spice about it now after the uh, big win of the Bombers last weekend. And Sydney, of course, the story thus far of 2021, playing some magnificent, entertaining football, the young swans or signets, as they are rapidly becoming known. Stats Insider tell us uh, plenty of talk, understandably, about the Swans' stocks of youth. But Essendon actually fielded the league's youngest and least experienced side last weekend. Good enough to rack up 22 goals in the process, Finey. Sorry about that. The Bombers' 20.1 disposals per goal against the Saints was a number bettered only by the Bulldogs' 17.3 last round. Well, massive test for Essendon. Uh, Still a heap of inexperience. The Swans are flying. It's at the SCG where the Bombers' record is pretty poor. They did beat Sydney up there last year, but prior to that, had lost uh, seven in a row on that ground against the Swans. The previous victory coming back in 2009. Uh, Do you give them much of a chance, Finey? Look, Sydney is just irresistible at the moment, aren't they? And they'll Add Lance Franklin to the lineup, most likely. I mean, we're, we're talking about a side that has got that much depth that Will Haywood doesn't. We mention this all the time. I mean, Matthew Ling must love this program because it's the only time he's in the spotlight. Unfortunately, he can't get a look in the team, but we know he's a good kid. Yeah, <laughs> add Buddy to the team that beat Richmond. Pretty good lineup. Essendon are going to bring Dyson Heppel back in, and that they these are the two teams. I've got to say, it's fallen fortuitously. They beat each other in very ripe sort of form. Both had great wins on the weekend, unexpected, with three youngsters, first-season players, both playing their roles at either club. Can Essendon replicate that at the SCG? And that becomes a little bit harder, I think, for that young trio to impose themselves on the game. You know, I mean, uh, leading forwards... Jones, that will be harder at the SCG, won't it, to find that space that was so abundant against St Kilda, who were observing COVID rules and not and social distancing. It's going to be much tougher. I'm not now going to say that Essendon are obviously going to lose this. I'll tip Sydney by 21 points. Yes, I will, because so impressed am I with the new boys, Goulden, McDonald and Campbell, but even more impressed with the... Well, I'd say more impressive. Even bigger are the inputs of, say, Tom Hickey at his fourth club, Tom McCartan, what a backman he is, Callum Mills, etc. Papley hit form last week. I've got to tip the swells. Yeah, and I think that that is key. I was just going to make that point myself. For all the excitement about the kids, and my boy uh, Robot, I'm a fair chance to come back this week as well. Um, the older heads have been just as good. You know, that midfield, Parker, been terrific. Lloyd's been terrific. And the move of Callum Mills uh, that into the midfield action, that just looks inspired. He's been absolutely superb for them. So they've got plenty of depth to that midfield. They've got a, a, an array of different types going through that midfield. And I just think in terms of strength, experience uh, and volume, um, I think that's where they get the edge over the Bombers. Uh, good point on Hickey too. He's playing some great footy, so good chance for him to exploit some more ruck dominance. Uh, look, I think Essendon might have a bit of confidence up after that performance against St Kilda, but I, this is a bridge too far for them, given the form the Swans are in. I'm going for Sydney by 26 points. That is uh, Thursday evening, 
Uh, big game, massive game in Adelaide on Friday night. Adelaide Oval, Friday evening, 7.50 Eastern Standard Time. We're off the daylight saving time now, of course. And it is a rematch of last year's thrilling preliminary final, Port Adelaide and Richmond. Of course, the Tigers won that one by just a kick and went on to win their third premiership in four years. Port still smarting from that defeat. Um, a bit of a reversal for them in Perth last week after two very easy wins to open the season against North Melbourne and Essendon. Good test for them. Stats Insider tells us that only North Melbourne is giving up more than Richmond's 255 uncontested possessions per match, while their 75.9% opposition disposal efficiency is easily the worst return from this period of Tiger domination. In short, and it was pretty apparent finally in the loss to Sydney, Richmond just wasn't applying anywhere near the same level of physical pressure on the opposition ball carrier as we have come to know them for. And that gives, gave Sydney a lot more space in which to work. And against a side as well equipped with run as Port Adelaide, that would be a very, very big mistake. So I think you can back it in and Damien Hardwick and his coaching panel at Punt Road have been putting in a lot of spade work and a lot of urging on the track about defensive pressure this week. Should be a cracking contest. Of course, the Tigers stung by that loss. They want to bounce back. Ditto Port Adelaide. How do you see this one panning out? What should we expect in terms of lineups? Well, first of all, Port Adelaide, I think, are ready to debut a ruckman that there's a big raps on this kid, Sam Hayes. Now, Laddams was impotent against West Coast, and it's time, I reckon, for Sam Hayes to have a look at some AFL football. That'll be an interesting watch. Uh, I'm tipping that debut's going to happen. I I wonder whether they... Are, are they comfortable with Georgie Artis and Marshall up forward? Look, that wasn't... They... they had an impact on the game. Problem was at the other end, they were too short to get in the back line. Alir Alir was, you know, he's a great pickup. The fact is, he's an intercept mark. Now they've got to look after Lynch and Rewalt, and they need to pay them more attention than they did to Darling and Kennedy. So maybe Trent McKenzie's a chance to come back in. I tell you, he's not coming back in as Tom Rockliffe. He played in the sandful and got knocked out. So he's got 12 days concussion. As for Richmond, a couple of big losses there, Rowan. Dion Prestia, very important in the midfield. He's got a hammy. And no Camden McIntosh, concussion protocol, 12 days. They're, they're important players, aren't they? So they in the VFL, Patrick Nage was their best. Bit of a sort of revolving door for Patrick when he's in the team. He must feel a lot of pressure. Daniel Rioli came on as the sub. Maybe there are two changes there. Or does Rioli lose his spot in the team because Hawley's ready to come back? So I'm saying Hawley and Nash in for those two injured boys. As far as the game goes, can you believe that one of these teams is going to be back-to-back losses? Not a problem for either of them to recover, but not where you thought probably they'd be at the start of the year. Um, I've got to say... I think Richmond are going to struggle in Port Adelaide, against Port Adelaide at the Adelaide Oval. Why? Yes, the home ground advantage is big. But 
I think Presti is a big loss. The, he went off at the start of the game last week and they got shredded out of the middle in that second quarter. They really needed him at the coalface. He would have been in there. There's no way South, uh, South Melbourne. Sydney would have kicked five goals in eight minutes if Presti was in there, but he's not in there this week. And we know how good... Port Adelaide can be if Boken, Wines and Co get going. So I'm tipping Port Adelaide by nine. Uh, I agonised over this tip as well. Uh, they were barely separated last year on preliminary final night. Uh, they've both had some issues thus far this season in terms of personnel. Much as I love the Tigers and I'm a consistent advocate for them, I think this might be another one they drop. And like you, I am going for Port Adelaide by six points for me. All right, uh, some big games on Saturday. Let's discuss them. Well, the first game on the Saturday menu is an absolute cracker. It is the Western Bulldogs playing Brisbane in Ballarat at Mars Stadium. Saturday afternoon, 1.35pm. Uh, the Stats Insider boys tell us there is a new flag favourite according to the Stats Insider futures model, and it is none other than the Western Bulldogs, who are currently pegged as a 16.8% chance of winning the club's third premiership. The Dogs have won 11 of their last 13 games against the Lions in Victoria. Jackson McRae has averaged a lazy 40 disposals per game over his last four matches against the Lions. Wow, one of those opponents he just loves coming up against. I'm really looking forward to this game. I think both sides are great to watch in full flight. Mars, playing on Mars, <laughs> puts a different spin on it. Um, what are the key elements of this matchup for you, Finey? First of all, ins and outs, because Brisbane are about to get some major injection of much-needed quality around the ground, very important ins. But you know what? Very little was made of an interesting omission last week for the Doggies. Mitch Wallace got dropped and he's not going to come back in, I don't think. <laughs> when, you, when you win by 128 points, how do you change that forward line? Ryan Gardner has to be replaced, the defender, and that may go, depending on matchups, I think they'll probably go for Lewis Young if they feel that they're stretched a bit with height because McInerney's coming back, they may go for Zane Cordy. Uh, six of one, half a dozen of the other. As I said, McInerney's back. Darcy Gardner's back. Not bad. Pretty important for the Brisbane structure, aren't they? So, you know, you've got the ruckman that comes back into the team and you've got also, uh, which is great news for them, uh, the return of Darcy Gardner. So they're well and truly suited by what's coming into the side. Um, what, and oh, pardon me, sorry, I think we've also got the likelihood of Jared Berry playing. Pretty good player. So who goes out? Definitely young, uh, not young now, but Robertson. Payne, the defender, maybe Connor Ballenden. Three begins for the Lions. Can they win on Mars? They can win anywhere. We know that because they're a good team but it's who they're playing against that becomes the issue. It's a settled dog's lineup that has that midfield power and the knowledge of the ground. It is a little bit different. I just think that to beat the Bulldogs, you've really got now, you're going to have to match them in the midfield. I don't think that's where there's a real strong, deep suit for the Brisbane Lions. It's just going to be tough. Should be a great game. I'm keeping the dogs 
by 17 points and Josh Bruce not to kick 10 goals. He can have a good game, but he won't kick 10. No, I think the the odds are definitely against that. Uh, Yeah, I I concur on this one as well. Actually, Brisbane at least has some experience on Mars. They played in Ballarat against the Doggies two seasons back in 2019. And uh, far from disgraced, incidentally, lost that game by just 16 points. Pretty pretty difficult conditions, as I recall. Hopefully, uh, the weather is a bit more favourable this time. Uh, look, it's just a. There are so many offensive possibilities with this game, which makes me sort of think it might end up coming back to defence. Um, I think Brisbane were made to slow things up a bit by Collingwood when the Pies were at their best in that game last Thursday night, and I think uh, the doggies might take a few cues from that. We talk about the dogs in terms of their offence, but they've got so many of those midfield types. I think they're capable of in effect, sacrificing maybe a, a one or two to do some lockdown jobs on the likes of Lockie Neal for Brisbane. So I think numerically they have the advantage. I think they have a slight edge in quality as well and probably ticking over a little bit better in terms of forward potency. I'm going for the Bulldogs to win as well, but only narrowly I'm going for them by eight points. Saturday Twilight. Uh, another good game at Marvel Stadium. Let's have a natter about that one. Well, it was a disaster for the Saints in this same time slot last Saturday afternoon. Can they atone after that horrible defeat at the hands of Essendon? St Kilda taking on West Coast. Like I said, same ground, Marvel Stadium, same time slot, 4.35pm Saturday afternoon. Stats Insider tell us the Eagles are first in centre clearance differentials this season and top five in hit-out and total clearance differential. The story here is that a fit and healthy Nick Natanui, who also leads the league with 18 score launches this season. Tom Liberatore is second in that same stat with 14. Uh, Great win for the Eagles last week against Port Adelaide, albeit on their home deck, Viney. Uh, St Kilda really need to show something this week after two bad losses in a row. What can we expect at selection and in terms of matchups in this contest? Well, obviously no Jade Gresham for St Kilda and some omissions as well. Daniel McKenzie unlikely to get picked. I would have thought Mason Wood will be removed from the team. Do they keep Sean McKernan going? I say not. I met Sean McKernan into the side. Only played half a game in the VFL, but you can't muck around against Nat Nui. They're going to have to press Rowan Marshall into action. He'll be a welcome return, if not a little underdone. I say he still gets some ruck support from Carlisle, though they might be tempted to bring Paul Hunter in even. I expect Dean Kent to play. Jack Loney's another one who could have his head on the old chopping block. There's a lot of room for change. Jimmy Webster couldn't play last week because of concussion protocol. He didn't have a crack to the jaw. I think he does come back in. So there's some changes afoot at St. Gilbert. One change, of course, for the West Coast Eagles, and that's a pretty obvious one, and that is out goes Luke Shuey. Zach Langdon replaced him as the sub. Actually, I think Xavier O'Halloran might be preferable. Zach Langdon can be sub again. So on to the game, and it's time for the response from St Kilda after last week's lamentable performance that has supporters 
with the air out of their balloons. Now, I think it's air out of tyres, wind out of balloons and pep out of step because this was really deflating for St Kilda fans. They're back home. They're back at Marvel. They've got a chance to respond. Logic says West Coast wins with the big forward line, Nat Nui. Nevertheless, St Kilda are not... You know, they, surely, this team that was so impressive last year can, can summons at least the energy to be highly competitive. And I say if they are highly competitive, they get a sniff, then they can pull off the upset. It is very much, uh, I guess, heart over mind, over brain. But part of me also says that West Coast aren't going to come here and win every game in Victoria. So with Marshall back, I'm going for St Kilda by three, Rowan. Yeah, that's certainly an upset, uh, an understandable upset, though. I, I'm a little bit worried about the Eagles uh, without Shuey, as we discussed earlier. Two things reassure me about them on this front, though. One is they've got a very good record against the Saints. They've won 11 of their last 12 meetings with St Kilda, most pretty comfortably. The other thing is, of all the road trips they do, I think I have a theory that they quite like uh, Docklands um, under the roof. In fact, they've won four of their last five, and that defeat was the last start, uh, an absolute thriller against the Doggies. So um, their recent record in Melbourne at Docklands is pretty handy. I think they have to be good enough to win those games against adversity. I think they will have certainly have their tails up after that great win over Port Adelaide last week. And I, look, I, don't get me wrong, I'm not writing off St Kilda's season here. In fact, I've written a piece of Australian Community Media today talking about the choice coach Brett Ratton has in terms of motivation this week. He might actually be doing everything to pump them up, not uh, pile on them this week, because they look like a side of confidence battered. But I don't know if they can pick it up all in the space of one week. So I'm going for West Coast, not by a heap. I'm going for West Coast by 22 points. That is the Twilight game Saturday afternoon. There are two on Saturday evening. Metricon Stadium, Saturday evening, 7.25pm. Gold Coast taking on Carlton. Of course, the Blues breaking the ice on the wind front with a good victory over Fremantle last weekend. Gold Coast, uh, pretty plucky again against Adelaide, but emerging with no points and the shattering loss of Jared Witts for the season. They have no ruck stocks left of which to speak. They're still without Matt Rowell. They're certainly doing it tough for Suns. Stats Insider's futures model remains optimistic about the Blues, meanwhile, has them as a 43.4% chance of playing finals this season. That's the ninth strongest figure in the league. Harry Mackay presently leading the competition on the mark front, having hauled in 17 marks inside 50. He's the only player, along with Adelaide's Tex Walker, to have already amassed at least 20 scoring shots this season. Of course, seven goals, five to Mackay in that win over Fremantle. Never easy to win at Metricon. The conditions can be unfavourable, but Gold Coast, I don't know how much more bad news they can, and bad luck they can take, Finey. Uh, what are they going to do about replacing Jared Witts? <laughs> they got they don't have any ruckman to replace him with. So obviously Chris Berg just becomes a, a key component in the side. Now they've got a guy, this is how desperate they are. They've got Josh Corbett, 
played some footy for them. Apparently, he rucked as a junior. And they're, they're sort of surveying the list. Have you ever rucked before? Anywhere? Anytime? Can you help us out this week? Have you got any mates that have rucked? Unfortunately, you can't do that on an AFL list now. So, do they keep Nick Holman a superstar? It's interesting. Uh, Nick Holman, does he dig himself a hole by being great when he comes on as a sub? Or does that get him promoted into the starting 22? People don't remember. He actually used to play for Carlton, so maybe they bring him in against his old team. As for Carlton, what changes do they make from the side that was so good against... Uh, it's not so good. They're pretty good against Fremantle. I don't think they need to make any changes, but they've got some options. Mitch McGovern could come into the team. You know I'm not a fan, so I say leave him out. As far as the game, wow, what an opportunity for Carlton to bring the game to a season to an even keel, two and two, and make good on their promise and their potential to have a crack at the eight this year. Gold Coast have to pay the price for having no Ruckman Rowan. I'm sorry. Look, they're a good team. That have, they've, they've shown something this year. There's no doubt about it. But as you've pointed out, how cruel. Raul, best midfielder already. Wits, only Ruckman, captain. No, I can't overlook what a hole that leaves. Brave they will be, but losers they will be, to Carlton by 17 points. Yeah, I, look, I often don't have a heap of faith in Carlton on the road, particularly. Um but this is one I think they win. I think it's just going to get a bit too hard for the Suns here. And you can take a, a bit of a cue, I think, from how things unfolded after Jared Witz's injury in that game against Adelaide because they looked quite capable of winning this game but really got smashed out of the middle and around the contest after Witz went off. And, and that's no slur on Chris Burgess. I mean, he's, he's not a ruckman. He's a key position forward or defender. So... Um, this is a real chance for Mark Pittenet to uh, to have a bit of a picnic and for the Blues on ball similarly to uh, pick up a welter of possessions. Uh, conditions can be a factor in night games at Metricon, dewy, slippery, etc. I think Carlton's done okay in difficult conditions before. Uh, look, really, they, they just must keep building on the confidence they would have got out of that win against the Dockers. I reckon they can do it. I don't think they'll be doing it by a lot. I reckon this might be a, a scrappy and relatively low-scoring affair, but I'm going for Carlton to win it by 12 points. And Rowan, can I throw something in here? Here's yep. the downside of 2020 for Gold Coast and Brisbane. Remember, all the Victorian teams are up there and playing a lot of football on those grounds. So Metricon and the Gabba become less foreign to Victorian teams in 2021. And that's why... I also tipped Carlton, less of a home ground advantage for the Gold Coast Suns. Very good point. Very good point. All right, that is the one Saturday evening game on the Gold Coast. The other one, at Melbourne, at the G. Well, the Magpies still smarting after that uh, post-siren loss to Brisbane last Thursday evening. They get a chance for atonement on Saturday night at the MCG against the beleaguered GWS, 7.25pm this game. Uh, Collingwood's, after the siren loss last week, drops them to just a 36.5% chance 
of making their fourth straight final series, according to Stats Insider. We're starting to see the effects of their weakened midfield as they are ranked fourth last for disposal differential, and that's normally a big strength of theirs, and second last for inside 50 differential, only North Melbourne faring worse. Gee, that's a surprise at the moment, just as well their defence is playing some good footy because they're under a fair bit of bombardment. Um, the poor old Giants, we talked about them in the news segment, finally, but uh, I guess the big story is how are they going to replace their latest legion of injured stars? That is a huge problem for them. They have been now, unfortunately, to GWS. The rubber band has snapped. Good news, Jake Riccardi is ready to start his 2021 campaign after that very promising debut season in 2020. So that's a big plus. Harry Perryman might come into the side. Uh, they've also got a young Shipley who could make an appearance for them. They don't have... He was the sub last week, Nick Shipley. So he probably holds his spot in the team. They don't have a lot of options, though, do they? You know what? Collingwood also have a couple of players knocking on the door. They, of all teams this year, have had the best medical room, least injuries, and they don't have a lot of depth, I've got to tell you. When you look at who they could bring in, do they bring Rusko back? He's a revolving door player. They might uh, elevate Bo McCreary, who was their sub last week. Who's Bo McCreary? I don't know. Young. But the guy I'm tipping could make his debut is Jackson, uh, Jack McRae's brother, Finley, because he was good in the VFL. That'd be interesting, Finley McRae. They rate him. I'm going to go Finley McRae into the side for Hoskin Elliott, who gets, you know, he sees the ball less than a wicketkeeper does in the bowling lineup for a cricket team. He sees, he, he just doesn't get the ball, Hoskin Elliott, but they don't mind him. They keep him in the team. Oh, Collingwood are blessed here, to be honest. I, I, I think Collingwood have not been that impressive. To, I thought Brisbane actually deserved to win by more, if truth be known. And that was a Brisbane without McInerney and, and some personnel issues. But they'd meet GWS who were beleaguered. Beleaguered, Rowan. Collingwood by 69 points. Oh, that is some margin. I don't know why, but I just got fixated on a couple of names there. One was Bo McCreary, because he sounds like a character in a, a US family drama. And Finlay McRae sounds like a young whippersnapper growing up in an Australian country town that is the subject of an ABC miniseries. Don't you think? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll tell you what, I don't know how your mind works, but I'm buying both of those for some reason. Uh, I, I know. What, what's disturbing most about that is it's the sort of thing that you'd say. Uh, clearly, I've been working with you too long. But Finlay McRae definitely should be an ABC miniseries about him growing up on the banks of the Murray and um, buggering off in his paddle steamer or whatever he does. Up to you, know what I'd love? If, you know what I'd love? If, if all the guys are in the club and his mates call him Finn, and every time somebody calls him Finn, he corrects them. Finlay. <laughs> no, no, they call him Finn, but he gets his mum still rolls up at the club and says, Finlay. <laughs> all right, I think we really need to get on with this. Um, this well, is going you to... know what? That, that's almost the, the summary the game deserves or the preview because <laughs> how, how could you tip the Giants? Seriously? You can't. You can't. They will be sent to their room with no supper, no tapioca pudding for them.
Um, I don't know why I've gone really stupid all of a sudden, but I cannot um, not tip Collingwood. I'm not going by 69 points, but I'm going by a healthy enough margin. I'm going the Pies by 34 points. That's the Saturday action. Three games left on the Sunday. The first game on Sunday afternoon, 1.10pm at Marvel Stadium in Melbourne. It is North Melbourne taking on Adelaide. This is a tough one for Roos fans, courtesy of Stats Insider, but they are just the fifth team over the last 30 years to be housing a sub-40 percentage after three rounds. Adelaide has won their last 11 games straight against the Roos in South Australia, dating back to 2003. They fixed them up a few times at Marvel as well, including that memorable game. I think it was 2012 when... They came from the clouds. Jared Petrinko kicked one off the ground in the last minute. But uh, some bad memories there for Roo fans and some bad memories of more recent times too. Number least at 128-point flogging against the Bulldogs on Good Friday. Pretty dark times for the Roos, finally. Uh, do you see any way out of it for them against the Crows? And what can they do to turn things around on the selection front? On the selection front, Luke McDonald, last year's best and fairest, should come back into the team. That's good news for starters. Uh, Trent Dumont, not quite yet. Aiden Core, I've got to be careful because I've made some mistakes with Aiden Core. That foot will keep him out again, I'm going to predict. But I'll make sure when the game starts. Aiden Bonar could come into the team because they've lost. Definitely they're going to lose. Anderson, Jed Anderson and Pollock, they both injured. You know, Pollock, we know, came off the hammy. He's going to be out for a while. Anderson, ankle, that's bad news. They could drop they could drop 10 players, couldn't they? So I, I, I don't think there'll be mass changes. I'm tipping Curtis Taylor to come into the side uh, after being out with concussion protocol. Luke McDonald's into the team. Aidan Boner into the team. And I'm also tipping Otterbesson Villagi. He's been okay off the half-back line in the VFL. Out of the side, I think Marnie gets omitted. And, you know, throw it. Throw anyone, any North supporter out there, you want to throw anybody else in the ring to get omitted, it wouldn't offend. As for their opponents, Adelaide, well, they're travelling along pretty nicely, I would have thought. So they're not looking to make too many changes. Um, are they going to make any changes? No, I think they'll go the same. You could tip North only on one basis, and that is if they got a sniff at home, because there's not many games they can win this year, surely at home to Adelaide would be one you could put a circle around maybe. But the same reason you can't tip, you didn't tip St Kilda, and it's good logic against West Coast, is they, they, St Kilda was so far back against Essendon, an improvement still leaves them short. So North Melbourne could improve a lot and still get beaten heavily. They were that bad against the Doggies. They're too young, too inexperienced. And that forward line of Larky and nobody else is absolutely unacceptable. Adelaide by 28... No, that's an even number. 27 points. Well, I think you're right in saying that this will be one of the few chances for North Melbourne to get a bit of joy, certainly in the first part of the season. But... Um, I just think they're in too shabby a state at the moment. And I think Adelaide is playing too well. Now, 
superficially a 10-point win over Gold Coast at home, you think, well, whoop-de-doo. But that was a pretty game effort by the Suns and it required some good footy for the Crows to win it. And they displayed that. Tex Walker, what can you say? The man is on fire. 17 goals after three games. I think what's also important is all their senior and better players are standing up at the moment. Number least, Rory Sloan. In a pretty wretched time of it last year with injuries and whatnot. His form has been terrific. Rory Laird, um, his moving to midfield has paid dividends for the Crows. That was even the case last year. Brody Smith playing good footy. Uh, Riley O'Brien and the Ruck showing a bit as well. Good um, experience for him up against the wiles of Todd Goldstein. Look, I, I think North will be totally souped up for this on the motivational front. And like I said, the rare chance for to taste a victory. But um, similarly... You're not going to tip it, are you? No, Finey, I'm not tipping North Melbourne. Uh, I am tipping Adelaide and by the relatively comfortable margin of 34 points. That is the first game on Sunday afternoon. Let's go to the mid-afternoon time slot. Uh, it's the battle of the uh, Melbourne establishment and the Western District establishment. Uh, Melbourne taking on Geelong, the squatocracy up against the aristocracy. Now, I can't reduce everything to class warfare. It's a game of football as between Melbourne and Geelong at the MCG, Sunday afternoon, 3.20pm. Stats Insider tell us it's the first three-zip start for Melbourne in 16 years. Wow, that is surprising. And they've done so with what's according to Stats Insider's shot charting, simply deplorable goal kicking. The Demons hitting just 36% from set shots and only 42% overall, which is among the league's very worst returns. A quick one on that uh, soon-to-be superstar, Kaziah Pickett too. He, along with Tex Walker, are the only players in the league averaging at least two goals and two tackles inside 50 per game. He is going to be an absolute superstar, I reckon, Cozzy Pickett. What an excitement machine. Uh, will the game be exciting? I did mention earlier, Finey, that this same clash last year was an absolute snooze fest in which the Cats played uh, that very worst brand of keepings off and Melbourne weren't good enough to get the ball back off them. Will we see a similar um, exhibition transpire this time, or will we see something a bit different with the Demons, perhaps a bit quicker and backing themselves a bit more? It's an intriguing matchup, Finey. Yeah, tell us how you see this one. Melbourne changes when you're on a good thing, stick to it. Melton was an unused sub, there would be a temptation to bring him in. I say no, Geelong have to make changes. Sean Higgins isn't really working out there, and he's got a hamstring injury. Yep, that's not going to be good. He'll be out for a little while, so he's definitely not available. Uh, Also, they've got some injury concerns, I guess, when you consider that they're also unlikely to be able to select Evans, the young, fiery forward. Good news, definitely meant a goal to come in this week. And I'm tipping young close. He plays a similar style of game to Evans to come into the side. So, yeah, a couple of injuries there for the Cats. Geelong will definitely try and keep the ball out of Melbourne's hands and out of 
stoppages because they know that they are going to get beaten at stoppages. They are not going to beat Max Gorn, servicing Oliver, Petrarca, Brave. They're just not going to beat them, Viney. They won't beat them. I'm sorry. So they have to play a game of keepings off. It'll be the ugly versus the you know, a team that's playing with a fair bit of bravado, aren't they? As you say, Cosy Pickett. Interesting that him and Walker share that statistic because if you put them together on the football field, you'd be hard-pressed to separate them. They're so similar looking and in the way they play football. They must be the two greatest polar opposite footballers going around in the AFL. That's the beauty of our sport, mate. That's the beauty of it. You can play it all sizes and all, all styles. Here's the thing. Melbourne will win this game, I believe, because ultimately that style of football, you know, I get a sense, I'm not saying umpires um, uh, are out there encouraging a game to be played a certain way, but I think this might town against Geelong in the long haul. You know, Essendon last week, I'm not saying they the margin would be any different, but they rightfully got a bit of the rub of the green with the umpires because they were the ones taking the game on. Now, Melbourne takes the game on. Geelong sits back on their heels. And I think that that sort of momentum is irresistible, even to the umpires. I know it's a strange reason to tip a team, but I'm going for the good guys in this one. And I'm not talking about white good resellers. I'm talking about Melbourne by 21 points. Oh, interesting. Um, I'm going to make a prediction of sorts here too. I reckon Geelong might not go for the keepings off style. I reckon they actually have the capacity to fight fire with fire here. And I reckon they can do it. The other thing that encourages me with the Cats against Melbourne is, you know, I love my history and records. They have won 16 of the last 18 clashes with Melbourne, uh, albeit narrowly last start. But they uh, just have a record of dominance, which is pretty rare in modern football. And they've been able to continue that for now about close to 15 years. I reckon they're going to come out on top in this one as well. And I reckon we might see a little bit more of the positive attacking style cats and remind ourselves that they are quite capable of playing that brand of football. However, I think it'll be very close. I think it'll be a very watchable game. I'm going for Geelong by two points. Final game of round four over in Perth, Optus Stadium, Sunday, 4.40pm Eastern Standard Time. It is Fremantle taking on Hawthorne. Now, the Hawks, according to Stats Insider, have lost the inside 50 count in all three matches this year and in 14 of their last 20 games overall. Meanwhile, according to Stats Insider's shot charting, the Dockers have generated just six shots from within 25 metres this season, easily the league's worst return. So they don't get many cheap gimme goals, the Dockers. They make hard work of a lot of their conversion. They were terrible. Another road trip in which they underperformed. Back on their favoured home turf again, Finey. I know you think that they are the proverbial flat track bullies these days. Problem is... Hawthorne are a tougher side to bully around than some might have anticipated. What can we expect either of these teams to dish up this week? Well, at the selection table, for some a surprise, but for others, no surprise. You look at Fife got his concussion blow at home a couple of weeks ago. People say out to three weeks, et cetera, et cetera. 
he's a tough bloke, Fife, and he's not going to be sitting around. If there's any chance of him playing, he's going to be on the field to try and get that season up and running, and I'm tipping that he will come into the team. Now, rookie Josh Tracy uh, is needed. He's a key position forward. He's the bloke that got reported in a waffle practice game, and then we had a whole lot of waffle about how long he's out for. They changed the rules. First, he was out for two weeks, then four weeks, then one week, then deported to Australia, then back to, you know, nine weeks. I don't... He's he's available. In a prison hulk? Yeah, that's right. He was going to have to roll all the way to Fremantle. (laughs) And then then he was out with a bad case of scurvy. Yeah, I mean, fair enough. In the waffle, you're not allowed to steal a loaf of bread. And that's what he did, apparently. I wasn't watching waffle practice games that weekend. But he's needed because that forward line is sparse when it comes to marking options. Tabiner works hard, but you know what? He needs cohorts. So I'm tipping into the team comes Tracy and Griffin Logue's ready and they need some height down back because they have lost a lot of key defenders. So they could come into the side, out. Uh, One for each of our old teams, mate. Travis Collier, he's a bit of a survivor. Not this week. And Blake Akers. Unfortunately, very similar to the Blake Akers at St Kilda. He's a little bit like Australia Post just before Christmas. A lot of promises to deliver, but not always getting the gifts there on time. Sorry, Aussie Post. Truth hurts. Now, Hawthorne, maybe no change. Maybe O'Brien comes into the team. They're tracking along pretty well. I think Freeman will win at home. And why? Because that's where they like playing. Because they only play half the game. No, the reason why is Hawthorne do have firepower issues. And that's really where Freo was susceptible. You bring Logan, he plays on Lewis. I don't think there's a lot of goal kicking there for Hawthorne up over in uh, WA. So I'm tipping Fremantle Dockers by an upside down margin. I'm going to go for Fremantle. When I say upside down, I'm going to go for 33. You can read it's it's you can read it back to front even 33. All right, uh, I'm going to keep mine very simple. I'm going for Fremantle as well for all the reasons you just uh, elaborated upon. But uh, to just give you a couple of headlines, one, they're at home. Two, Nat Fife will be back. That's enough for me to tip them against the Hawks, not by a heap. I'm going for them by three goals, even three goals. 18 points is my margin on the Dockers. All right. That is round four previewed. We've been very contemporary and present day, but it's time to take a trip back to the past. Fantastic footy flashbacks. Okay, Fanny, I'm putting my hand up here. This one does involve Essendon, but it was a great story, this one. I am going back to 1978, round 11, and a famous afternoon at Windy Hill between Essendon and Hawthorne, the uh, Baby Bombers' earliest version thereof, um, up against the seasoned heavyweight, the Hawks. Uh, Both sides going reasonably well at that stage, so a much-anticipated game, in fact, uh, a very well-attended game. I almost got locked out, in fact. Uh, my 13-year-old self just managed to make it through the gates before they shut them. 
capacity crowd of around the 25,000 mark. That was a lot at Windy Hill, believe me. But this is a game that became known for one duel of aerial legends, high flyers both, and both with big mops of blonde hair. Hawthorne's experienced centre-half back, Peter Knights, at that stage, one of the very best handful of players in the caper, up against Essendon's young Tyro, the flying Dutchman, Paul Vanderhaar. Now, it was an amazing afternoon. Um, there's a couple of little highlights packages floating around, but I remember it for a few things, Fonny. One, as I said, I just got in with my mates. Uh, two, we couldn't find a decent vantage point anywhere, so I ended up crawling up a big cyclone wire fence, which was at the back of the standing room on the terrace there at the school end. This is pre-me getting my reserve seats on the other wing. Uh, Matt, they didn't have reserve seats on the fence, did they? No, I don't know. I ended up getting reserve seats on the other side of the ground, but this is on the outer side that the TV cameras picked up. We ended up scaling up to the top of the cyclone fence and sitting astride that at uh, great um, danger to our safety <laughs> and uh, sat on the fence the entire game. It was too difficult logistically to get down at halftime and to go to the toilet or get a, a pie or anything. And at the end of the game, my feet were so numb. I didn't realise this because they'd been dangling, but I dropped to the ground from about... I don't know, two-thirds of the way down the fence. And unfortunately, as soon as I hit the ground, my feet and legs just crumbled beneath me like bits of cardboard because I had no feeling in them. And I hit the deck at some velocity. Um, I was okay. But, uh, yeah, I couldn't walk for about two minutes because I just had no feeling in my legs whatsoever. The other thing about it is it was a really overcast day. And I kid you not, I know everyone will hear this and think, oh, crap. But the hair of Knights and Vanderhaar was so bright blonde and not bleached, it was natural, that in the dark overcast afternoon, these two mops of blonde hair really, really stood out. You can even notice it on the TV highlights when you have a look. Anyway, these two fought a magnificent duel in the air. In the end, Peter Knights won the duel, as indeed the Hawks won the game by 29 points in the finish. Really high-quality game, though. The stats, for what it's worth, Peter Knights ended up with 20 disposals from centre-half back, 10 marks. Paul Vanderhaar wasn't disgraced. He had 17 disposals, took six marks and kicked two goals, three for the Bombers. And they just tried to outmark each other all day. It was just fantastic stuff to watch. We've got a little bit of audio courtesy of ABC's The Winners of their particular duel that day. Let's have a listen now. And Peter Knight's stellar form was on display again the following weekend as the Hawks faced Essendon in round 11 action. The high-flying Knights was pitted against another frequent flyer, the great Paul Vanderhaar, in one of the all-time great one-on-one duels that had the crowd constantly on its feet. Vanderhaar! Third mark over Peter Knights. Andrews at centre-half back. Fletcher. Long kick by Fletcher. Half forward, Knights and uh, Vanderhaar again, and this time Knights in front. Fletcher has heaps of room to move. He kicks now. Vanderhaar and Knights. Vanderhaar! A good mark by Muir over Matthews. He wastes no time giving it to Fletcher. Fletcher, the long kick, Danaher backing into Polkinghorne. Knights! Mansfield. 
The long kick, Vanderhaar and Knights. Vanderhaar! Madden from centre-half back. Knights and Vanderhaar and Knights. Not going to let him go, treating him like a long-lost friend as Pazanko comes in. The long kick, centre-half forward, Knights and Vanderhaar. Knights judged it better than Vanderhaar on that occasion. And uh, Vanderhaar looked at the umpire then as if to say, well, look, uh, I thought he didn't hold it long enough. Gee, I, how often has that duel between Vanderhaar and Knights been quoted by those who bemoan the lack of one-on-one -on -one contests? That is the granddaddy of them all. And a couple of observations from your day, Rowan. That would be the last time you've sat on the fence on anything because you are the most outspoken person I have ever heard <laughs> You certainly don't. You certainly don't. You you don't equivocate now. You are you're not a fence sitter, and also don't ever climb Everest. Sounds like you got frostbite. At, you know, watching a game of AFL football. So I'm I'm pretty sure Everest is out of your bailiwick. Now, my go, and this has to be for lovers of, of the history of the game as you and I, and I think footyology fans are, Rowan, this is the pee in the pod because it's the first ever footage of AFL, VFL, Aussie rules, call it what you want. It goes back to 1909. Now, I have, what I've done is I've cut the audio from a one-and-a-half-minute colourised piece of the 1909 grand final between Carlton and South Melbourne. It's actually from a 10 and a half minute piece in total. But this colorized version, colorization is now very strong. I know when it first came out, it made everybody look like they wore lime green, pink, or incredibly coincidentally, everybody had the same shade of blue if blue was required. Much better now. It looks like it was shot in color. It's beautiful. Some panoramic shots of the crowd. You see the people of the day and note Back in 1909, as today, it's a sport very much spectated and followed by women. There's many women in the crowd as men and passionately supporting the Blues and the Swans. You get a look at the old flick pass, players without numbers on their back, handlebar moustaches, and when the siren goes to declare South Melbourne narrow squeak winners in the 1909 grand final their first, back in the day, you're allowed on the ground to cheer your heroes off the field of play. That's pretty good. Now, this is narrated by Sandy Roberts, but I do point people to go and look at this or the full version if you love your visual history. Sandy does a great job talking us through how the game played out. And it's a bit of a, as I say, it's a bit of a jewel because it's the first. And it was shot by a Sydney signer, a, a, a film um, expert, and it was going to be shown at an exhibition. So there's a bit of a prophecy in there because he was at South Melbourne's first flag. He's from Sydney, and we know where South Melbourne ended up. It's, his name was Cousins, by the way. It's just a ripping piece. The MCG on grand final day, 1909. The fledgling Victorian Football League was embarking on its 13th premiership battle with defending premiers Carlton aiming for its fourth premiership in as many years. This day, the Blues were pitted against minor premiers South Melbourne, aiming for its first grand final victory. It was a season that saw a sensational feud between Carlton coach Jack Worrell and his entire team. Under extreme pressure, Worrell resigned, and captain Fred Elliott took over the coaching duties.
South had come off second best after a fiery clash with the Blues in an earlier final, and in this match, they aimed for the open spaces. It was a low-scoring affair, with neither side scoring a goal in the first quarter. The half-time scores were level, with two goals nine apiece, and South held a slender seven-point lead at the last change. South Melbourne scored only two points in the last quarter, but it was enough to give the Swans their first premiership. They were to win two more in 1918 and 1933, but haven't tasted success now for 52 years. Best players for South, Franks, Thomas and Cameron, while history tells us that for Carlton, Rod McGregor, Jinx and Payne were outstanding. The umpire was Jack Alba. Yeah, that is fascinating stuff, isn't it? I'll tell you what, you, you're spot on about colorization. Uh, in fact, to this end, there, there is a great series. I saw it a while ago now. I'm pretty sure it was ABC. So you can see it on iView, I think. It might be called Australia in Colour. But it's a, a three-part doco with a whole lot of old footage of Australia up to about the 1960s, I think. And it's been colorized, and you are spot on. The techniques now are so sophisticated. It does. It looks totally genuine. And there's something about, um, yeah, look, in the, in the early days when the techniques were pretty rough and ready, it just didn't look natural. But there is something about the colorization of historical photos which just immediately give them a, a, a new life. You know, like uh, there's a, a Brazilian colorization expert I actually follow on Twitter. Her name is Maria Amaral, I think, if you're interested. Her work is incredible and she's quite famous now. She's done a lot of war books and things like that, but she colorized a picture of one of the group of men who assassinated Abraham Lincoln, not just John Wilkes Booth, but one of his accessories. And fair income, the guy could be like advertising Calvin Klein jeans or something. That's how contemporary it looks. It's just remarkable good colorization. Anyway, I'll digress a little bit, but uh, you're right though. I love it. And I'm, just very quickly, you'll like this story. So I told my kids many years ago, you know, when I grew up, we didn't have color TV. It was black and white. And my now eldest daughter was quite young at the time. She goes, how did they convert color into black and white? That'd be great. <laughs> She was. She thought it was a great achievement to make black and white out of colour. <laughs> yeah, very good. Um, all right, we're done. Uh, that is it for another show. Long show, but we had a lot to discuss this week. So I hope you enjoyed it. Quick plug to our sponsors, please, Finey. A good long show needs a good quality lunch. And the best quality lunch? Andrews. Andrews Hamburgers, 144 Bridport Street, Albert Park. And you want a great build, Nick Martell's, he's in good form. His Blues are playing well. Well, they won't last week in here. He's always happy to take your inquiries at West Point Properties for renovations, full builds of the highest quality. And the best quality stats coming from Stats Insider, sports and data-driven industry leader providing model projections and analysis to more than 15 sports across the world. Check out their website, statsinsider.com. Check out footyology.com.au. Uh, if you want to support us financially, uh, that would be very much appreciated. You can do so at our ACAST supporter page, wherever you're listening to this podcast, or 
on the Footyology website where there are several links to our Patreon account and you can become an official Footyology patron. And we're eternally grateful to all those who have already jumped on board. That's it for this week. We'll be back on Sunday evening with our review of this round four in what is shaping up as a terrific season already. Um, good luck to your teams for this weekend. We'll see you later.